Hello, it's Marcus here today with another solo podcast. We are recording a couple of these to fill some gaps in the summer when we can't get together over Zoom and do our usual hobnobbing about the markets and what's going on in Alberta. So this uh, next podcast, this is another reading of one of my blog posts. This is a post, a part of a series of posts that I first wrote back in November 2022, actually originally November 2021 during Financial Literacy Month. This post is titled Financial Advice for Someone in Their 20s. So even though it is labeled, obviously, advice for someone in their 20s, I don't want to discourage you from listening as there are some tidbits of advice here that would be useful to, I think, anybody in any age. As well, if you have uh, some younger people in your life, some uh, enterprising teenagers who want to get a good start on life, this is probably a good one to share with them in terms of things to, to think about, watch out for as they enter into the world of adulting. So you're in your 20s and you're looking for financial advice. Here is some advice I have for you. This post in particular is based on my experiences working at a major bank from 2004, late 2004 to 2007 in sort of a frontline banking role where I got to meet with Anybody of any age, people of all walks of life, got to see all the mistakes they were making, got to see what, what smart things some people were doing with their money. And, uh, and yeah, especially in the uh, group of people in that age, you know, 18, 19, and throughout their 20s, I saw a lot of mistakes being made, people not setting themselves up well for life. And, uh, and so I've thought of a few things here. These are things I would uh, tell those people or maybe even tell myself when I was in my 20s. Because not everybody is at really the exact same uh, financial maturity in their life, if I can call it that. Um, this post might even be uh, applicable to people in their 30s and 40s. Uh, if you just don't have quite the, the same start on your, on your financial journey, that's okay. You'll probably learn something here too. So here is my core advice for the average 20-something. First up, don't muck up your credit. I want to get this one out of the way first, as, as it's the biggest mistake a young person can make early on in their financial journey. And mistakes early on will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Most people will get their first credit card when they start post-secondary education. By my own recollection, there were several credit card kiosks on the McEwen campus in between the beer gardens in the first few weeks of fall semester. Credit card companies will pretty much throw themselves at college students and pretty much pre-approve you for at least a $500 credit limit, even if you have zero credit history. When I was 18 or 19, I remember signing up for an Oilers-themed MasterCard from MBNA off of the back of some magazine. It didn't have any features other than that it was a vanilla, no-fee credit card with an Oilers logo on it. I think they promised me a hat, but I didn't get it. Uh, I had a part-time job at that time. Uh, I'd already started establishing my credits first with my very own cell phone plan that I got when I got myself an analog Motorola StarTac with Cantel AT&T. I'm totally aging myself here. Uh, so right away on that credit card, I got myself a $2,000 credit limit. Your credit rating starts building very quickly once you start that first credit card, for good or bad. The most important factors that influence it are, one, how much you borrow at a time, Ideally, try not to run your balance higher than half of whatever your limit is. Limit your use of credit if you have to. Pay it off before putting another large purchase on it. Or ask your credit card company for a limit increase after a while. Or accept that pre-approved increase if they ever offer you one, even if you don't need it. The, the reason here is to minimize your credit utilization percentage, which is one of the major things that the credit bureau looks at when they determine your score. 
If you're using more than half of your limits, it tends to be a negative on your score. Ideally, you want to keep your, your regular month-to-month usage, even if you're paying it off in full, to less than half. Second point, obviously paid off on time, paid off in full if you can. Um, at a minimum, to keep your credit rating intact, you want to be making your minimum payment each month. Uh, again, paying it off in full is better for your credit, which goes contrary to a lot of popular mythology out there. There are some who think that in order to build that credit score, you actually need to have that borrowed balance month to month, paying it off little by little, but uh, better off paying it off in full every month. The third thing is uh, how often you apply for credits can be a negative on your score. Uh, Having a credit check run when you start a new job or opening a bank account isn't going to impact your score, but applying for every credit card offer that you ever see likely will. So on that note, having too much available credit outstanding, even if, you unuse, if, even if you're not using it, will negatively affect you when you're applying for a car loan or mortgage down the road. So you got to take that in balance with my first point about having, having enough credit limit that you're not using too much of it at a time, uh, but not having too much outstanding because then they're just not going to prove you for more. I want to stress the importance of establishing and maintaining good credit early on. That first credit card can make or break you. At the same time, how you interact with your bank can also be hugely detrimental to eventually getting that mortgage you want when you're in your late 20s or 30s. You might not have thought about leaving your account overdrawn for a year when you were 21. Most banks will expect you to bring overdrawn balances to zero within a month, but they don't require it until it becomes very excessive, in which case they'll freeze your account and you'll get all sorts of alert messages on your profile. But when it comes to uh, time to buy that first house, your mortgage broker might end up with one or two fewer banks available to you if you get to get your mortgage through, if you sully your, your reputation with, with one or two. Pretty much as soon as you get your first credit card or own your first cell phone plan, the institutions will start reporting your info to the credit bureaus. This will go on for the rest of your life and impact your ability to get a mortgage or even a job. Some jobs will check your credit when hiring you to ensure you're not in a financial mess and might steal from them. I can tell you from my own experience, when I started at the bank, they did that, of course. Um, I think even at Canaccord when I started here. I won't go into a lot of detail on credit scores, how they're calculated and such, but the simplest assessment of the scores from someone who used to do personal credit applications at a bank, less than 650 means you've got some bad habits or messed up somewhere along the way and need to work harder to keep your financial house in order. Many credit products won't be available to you. Below 650 is basically considered subprime. I know some people will consider 650 an average score, but I'm telling you from the perspective of the bank, uh, below 650 does limit you a lot in terms of what will be approved for you or how easy it gets approved. Above 750 means you've got pretty good credits and should stop worrying about it so much. Uh, Getting it to 800 is not going to lower your mortgage interest rate. Uh, 750 is good, 800 is better, 850 is really good. Ultimately, having good credit or bad credit may end up being the difference between the bank turning you down for credits or you turning them down. Wouldn't you prefer to do the latter? You can check your credit score and report nowadays with any of the uh, credit agencies. The two major ones are Equifax and TransUnion. Another bit of advice that I mentioned above but can't emphasize more because it probably goes counter to how most of your peers use credit is don't carry a balance month to month on your credit card. The interest rate is always atrocious and there's no reason you should be spending more on your credit card in any normal month than what you can afford to pay off with your regular earnings, unless there was maybe some kind of one-time emergency. Most people your age don't pay off their balance in full, but if you do pay yours off every month, it puts you that much farther ahead of everyone else and you'll have the ability to start saving sooner. If you need the math, carrying an average balance of $1,000 month to month at a 20% interest rate equals about $200 of interest charges over the course of the year. 
It's actually a bit more due to compounding. Isn't there something else you'd rather spend that $200 on, like a Netflix subscription or something? Did you buy something on sale during the year at $200 off and put it on your credit card? Well, there went your savings. You paid it back in interest. It's just stupid to carry a balance. Pay it off, and if you can't afford to pay it off in full every month, don't buy it. If you need any more convincing about keeping your cash flow and credit in order, watch Squid Game on Netflix. Lastly, and I don't think this really needs to be explained to someone who has taken the initiative to read this post, payday loan shops are not a business that you should ever want to set foot in. Your friends might go there, maybe they find themselves in some unlucky circumstances, but most likely they're going there because they screwed up. The day you set foot in a payday loan shop, if ever, I want you to hang your head in shame, reflect on how you ended up there, and try harder to avoid that place in the future. My next bit of advice should help, and that is number two, build an emergency fund. After you start having regular income direct deposited into your checking account and after you've got your credit situation sorted out and only if you're staying out of your overdraft completely and not carrying a balance month to month on your credit cards, start building an emergency fund. One thing the bank salespeople do is they'll probably persuade you to open a savings account when you open your checking account and will also suggest a monthly forced savings into it. Where they don't serve you well is when they compel you to do this while you're still in overdraft or carrying a balance on your credit card. They don't care about your actual financial position. They just want to sell you more products. Anyway, when the conditions in my first paragraph are met, building an emergency savings is your first substantial financial goal before investing one penny in long-term investments or establishing any other major purchase goals. General rule of thumb is to have at least three months of cash flow needs saved up. I usually suggest at least six months or a nice big round number like 20,000 or something like that. Whatever number you think would cover short-term emergencies in your life. I think higher if you own a car and depend on, on it to get to work. Obviously think a lot higher if you own a house or a condo or whatever. Some will suggest that having available lines of credits can replace the need for an emergency fund. Why have $20,000 in a savings account earning next to nothing when you can invest that money and dip into a $20,000 credit line only when needed? In a perfect world, the math checks out, but in the real world, banks freeze credit lines. Having $20,000 sitting in an account earning 3%, and this is from 2022 when I last updated it, so nowadays more like 5%. It isn't as sexy as buying crypto or a meme stock, but it is the most powerful thing you can do for yourself in your present financial situation to have a bunch of cash set aside for when you might need it. You'll never have to worry about paying off a large credit card balance or having to go to your parents for money in emergency or worse, subjugating yourself to those payday loan shops I mentioned. The tax-free savings account is not purely just a savings account, but for a young person whose first savings goal is their emergency fund, it's a wonderful savings vehicle. Each year, from the year you turned 18, you qualify for an annual contribution limit, and money in the TFSA is never taxed. For more info on TFSAs, go to muhs.ca slash TFSA. If you're a few years into your 20s, you should already have enough contribution room for the TFSA to fully house your emergency fund. Just remember that when you withdraw money from your TFSA, you don't get that contribution room back until next year. So this is a savings account that's meant to be used a few times a year at most, and not a few times a month. Get your emergency savings started through your bank by having them set up automatic transfers from your checking savings to your TFSA every time you get paid. It's called paying yourself first. Next big, 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 huge piece of advice for people in their 20s, rent, don't buy a home. As mentioned in the intro, everyone's at a different level of financial maturity or at different stages of their lives. But for the vast, vast majority of people in their 20s, this applies, even though everyone around them is telling them otherwise. 
When I originally wrote this post in late 2021, this probably was the most powerful advice a 20-something in the GTA or Vancouver region could have taken a heart. If they didn't buy then at insanely overvalued prices, they set them, themselves up a lot better early in life, aren't stuck with a piece of real estate right now and a 5 or 6% mortgage. I was 27 when I bought my first home, a condo relatively close to where I worked at the time, and it served its purpose of shelter, but if I could do it again, I would have rented for a bit longer. I wasn't really established in my career yet, and other peers who also bought condos around the same time ended up being accidental landlords when their careers led them to move out of Edmonton and uh, still be landlords of their condos here in town. I sold that condo at around $100,000 loss in 2021. A home is not an investment. If you're in your mid to late 20s, married, in your permanent career job, or one that has little chance of moving you to a new city, then by all means, buy a home. Don't buy a starter home like an apartment condo like I did, uh, that you'll have to sell in a few years down the road as your family grows. But if you're going to buy, buy your forever home if you can afford it. Otherwise, keep renting. People will tell you the opposite. Don't listen to them. Don't pay rent to a landlord. Build equity, they'll say. That's what they told me back in 2008, The uh, probably the absolute worst time to buy property in Alberta in, in hindsight. No one who bought a home post-2006 in Alberta, which is around when the, when the highs were in, built any equity in their home. And I think that experience is one young people in other parts of Canada are probably going to repeat over the next decade. Renting is awesome. If anything goes wrong with your home, your landlord takes care of it. This means no big incidental costs coming out of your emergency fund, not having to have as much in your emergency fund. If you don't like your home or neighborhood, or if your job requires you to move to a different city, or you just want to move closer to work, renting gives you all the freedom in the world. When you own a home and you need to move, the cost of selling and buying a new home are quite a bit more, and that is if you can even manage to sell your home. It took me over six months to sell that condo. So just get that fantasy of buying a home out of your head and tell your friends or family to shut up about it. Don't buy until you're ready to. And use the extra years to save up a larger down payment to minimize your CMHC fees. In the original post, I put a link to CMHC. I obviously can't uh, share that on a... Well, I'll put, I'll put a link in the, uh, in the show notes. But uh, Google search CMHC to find out more about what those are if you're not sure what they are. Anyways, on to the next thing. I just want to touch a little bit about insurance planning. So if you're a younger millennial or, el- or elder Gen Z, you're probably not married yet nor have any kids. However, if you are, then you should definitely start looking at term life insurance to protect your family in case something happens to you. I'll explain a bit on life insurance in one of the next uh, w- versions of these, uh, these podcasts when we talk about advice for people in their 30s. But suffice it to say, insurance is extremely cheap for a healthy 20-something-year-old. You can probably get a half million dollars of term coverage for the, for the cost of a Spotify subscription. Even if there's no established need yet, you never know what could happen to your health over the next 10 years and what could preclude you from getting coverage when you do actually need it, when you start to have dependents, a family, etc. Or it might just become prohibitively expensive. Okay, so you're still listening. Your day-to-day financial situation is probably in good shape. You have a good, strong emergency fund built up and any other short- to medium-term financial goals taken care of. It's never too early to start saving for retirement, no matter if it's 40 or 50 years away. The earlier you start saving, the less your retirement will cost you in the long run. Plain and simple. On my website in the resources section, so that's muhs.ca slash resources, I have a millionaire calculator. And there's a whole bunch of other resources there too. So on it, you can do some calculations. If you want to have $1 million inflation adjusted saved up by age 65 at a 5% rate of return with 2% inflation, 
It takes monthly savings of about $1,200 a month if you start at age 35. Getting a 10-year head start and starting at age 25 means you only have to save $670 a month. Of course, I know saving $670 a month isn't in everyone's budget, but even just starting with a few hundred dollars helps. And if you can start before 25, all the better. Most people don't put much effort into planning for their retirement until they're well into their 30s. If you can start putting $200 a month aside at age 25, based on the expected returns I mentioned above, you'll already have $30,000 saved up towards your retirement by 35, and that's a pretty good launch pad. Do that, and you'll only have to put $1,000 a month aside once you're 35, from 35 onward, to reach a million by 65 in today's dollars. Whatever amount you decide to put aside, make sure it fits within your budget, but it doesn't put you short in any other areas, and that you can live with that money being completely untouchable until retirement, and I really must emphasize that. Don't get overly ambitious with your saving strategy. You'll be much better off putting aside $200 a month and never touching it than putting aside $1,000 a month, running out of cash at the end of some month in the future, and then having to withdraw from your long-term investments during a temporary market crash. I'm going to focus more on how to invest in different savings vehicles in one of my next uh, discussions, such as uh, financial advice for people in their 30s. For now, your TFSA is a wonderful long-term investment vehicle. No, not the TFSA that you open for your emergency savings fund, but open a separate TFSA with an investment company. Either use a mutual fund account at your bank, a robo-advisor, or discount brokerage, available through your bank or through some other online source. With your emergency fund well-funded and your overall cash flow situation in good shape, I'm going to assume you're enough years past your 18th birthday that you'll have enough TFSA room that you can start a long-term TFSA alongside your emergency fund TFSA. Contributions to such don't give you a tax deduction like RSP contributions do, but the money is also not taxable when it comes out. Only if you're all out of TFSA space and if your income is reasonably at a reasonably high level uh, does it make any sense to put money into an RSP. I will talk about those in a, in a future post. For now, just try to uh, put at least a few hundred dollars a month in your TFSA and invest in as aggressively a portfolio as your risk tolerance allows. Of course, wherever you open your TFSA, they'll probably put you through a, a risk questionnaire to determine that. And don't ever stop saving. And I do want to emphasize, don't do any of what I just mentioned if you do not have an emergency savings and still positive cash flow. Don't put money into long-term investments if there's any chance you need to use that money in the next 10 years. So on the actual original uh, blog post that I'm reading out here, uh, you'll find it at nuhs.ca slash fp20, foxtrot papa 20, I guess, if we want to talk phonetics. So on that page, I have a pyramid, and it's basically meant to be like a Maslow's hierarchy. I do this for a lot of my financial plans, especially when there are a lot of different competing goals, just to help people, first of all, visualize and see a summary of all their goals, but also how to prioritize them between, you know, what should we focus on first, starting at the very bottom of the pyramid, and then moving up from the bottom to the next level up and so forth. The pyramid for someone, the typical person in their 20s looks like this. The very bottom rung is your cash flow slash credit. You want to be cash flow positive. Never carry a credit card balance month to month and don't muck up your credit. Once you've accomplished that, then we can move on and look at other goals. The next goal, the biggest thing you should do for yourself, the most powerful thing you can do for yourself is have a strong emergency fund. Again, don't, don't worry about your retirement planning yet. Your retirement is so far off in the future. The power of having a bunch of money in, emer in an emergency fund, very liquid and accessible so that you're, you're giving yourself that financial independence of not having to rely on someone else or put yourself on hawk with the banks or the, uh, the, the loan shops. 
is having that emergency fund. So save up enough in your TFSA to cover three months of cash flow at least, maybe six months even if you want to be extra um, ambitious, I guess. And then the next rung, which is renting is awesome. Don't buy a home. A home is a place to live, not an investment. You're not putting yourself ahead by buying something early on in your life. Buy that, buy that permanent forever home if you can down the road. Again, I know that goes probably completely opposite of what realtors will tell you, what mortgage brokers will tell you, what people at the bank told me, but uh, don't buy a home. Next level up, then after all that is accomplished, then we can start looking at retirement planning. So starting to save a few hundred dollars a month in your TFSA. If your income is higher, and I'm just going to say if your income is over, let's say 60000 or so, then you might want to look at starting an RSP. Uh, but really... Just start using that once you've maxed out your TFSA. Unless you're making really high income, the TFSA is going to be the most useful thing for you in your for as a savings vehicle in your 20s. And as you get older, you're going to basically max out both of them. So once you've done that, then you want to maybe look at insurance planning. And this is one I would move ahead of retirement planning if you are in your 20s and you're already married and uh, maybe have kids on the way. Uh, then you want to prioritize that more. But generally, you know, most people in their 20s nowadays aren't yet at that stage. Uh, you still might want to look look at getting a quote for some term coverage. Like I said, it could be very cheap and you'll be basically getting something for 20 years, maybe longer even, uh, which will cover you down the road when you likely will need it. So only when all of that other stuff is covered and you've got a good handle on it, then we look at anything else, which could be speculative investing, which includes everything crypto related, uh, potentially buying a home, buying a new car, uh, major other major purchase goals. That's that's for once everything else is is covered off. So what you can also do for yourself is improve your financial literacy. I wrote a post on a couple of books that I recommend for people at uh, based on what they're what they're looking to improve their knowledge on. Uh, it is found at muhs.ca/books. And um, get in touch with me if you have any questions. I'm more than happy to uh, to help them uh, help help answer them. If you go to my contact page, again, muse.ca slash contact, easy enough to find, uh, you'll find a link to my newsletter, which you can subscribe to, totally free. Uh, I'm never going to sort of contact you to try to sell you anything or whatever. You'll just get a newsletter in your inbox uh, every couple of weeks probably, and in it I usually share my blog posts, podcasts like this one, and uh, any other useful stuff I read online. So as someone who's in their 20s, likely you won't have enough wealth to meet my minimums to work with me on a financial plan, nor would I ever recommend that you pay thousands of dollars for a financial plan. That in itself would probably be irresponsible spending given how much your financial situation will change over the next five to 10 years even. Uh, I'm offering you this free advice. Um, stuff like this, reading this, this uh, or listening to this podcast, reading my blog post, reading my newsletter, maybe have a one-on-one with me, 30 minutes. Uh, that's completely free if you have any questions. Uh, you'll find a link to that on my contact page as well. But uh, that's just stuff to think about at this point and uh, stuff to maybe put yourself in the uh, the right shoes to uh, start becoming wealthy. My own business wouldn't be sustainable unless people in their 20s make good decisions with their money and put themselves in a good position so that eventually they get to their 30s and 40s and have a lot to invest, have more complex financial situations and uh, become good clients of mine. So anyways, like I mentioned, stay tuned for the next one of these. Uh, You'll probably hear it in a couple of weeks whenever we have another uh, break in our usual podcasting schedule. And uh, that will be financial advice for someone in their 30s. I know I have a number of clients in their 30s. And and again, I usually base these uh, these posts and these podcasts on uh, just the conversations I have with clients. What's top of their mind? uh, What sort of challenges do we run into? 
again, thanks for listening as always. And uh, we'll, uh, you'll hear from us again, uh, probably both of us next week. Take care. Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial circumstances, or general need of any individual organization or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.